in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. Andy Larson and welcome back to another great week of our program. In fact, it's a lucky week for all your fans because you get another episode, right? Is that why that's, it's lucky, Chad? That's right. If you're feeling green or uh, enthusiastic about the color, I don't I got nothing for this. <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't you know what a... I love about you, Chad? Sometimes you're honest with some of the curveballs I throw you on this show. That is yeah. my regular co-host, Chad Smith, as always. And uh, I'm also joined by my other co-host, J.A. Scott. J.A., uh, what is your favorite uh, part of Sate? Patty's Day with a mm. with a double D, not a double T, right? Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I would say my the thing I don't understand about St. Patrick's Day is why people would resort to drinking green beer when you can just drink Guinness. Exactly, it, it does That's have true. its own color, and it is a much better beer. Like I would much rather have a glass of Guinness than just I don't know Coors Light with some green food coloring dumped in it. And keep looking behind you the next day, like ah, what happened? <laughs> Any case, somebody that never has to look behind them is our wonderful co-guest host for today's uh, program, and that is of course the wonderful comic book creator from the city of Pittsburgh. That is the wonderful Mikey Wood. Mikey, we love having you on this program, and thank you so much for joining us for this St. Patty's Day celebration. Uh, do you have any good listening. stories about uh, the uh, luck of the Irish? You know, it's funny. Is like I came from an Irish. Italian family. My father's side of the family was Irish, and my mother's side of the family were Italian. So uh, the street fights were great. Like we didn't, you know, we didn't have family get-togethers. We had fights for turf, brouhaha's, no, brouhaha's, corned beef and pasta. No, but the the um, shamrock shakes, man. If I'm gonna. If I- you know, the only milkshakes I like taste like toothpaste, and that's the way I that's the way I want it. <laughs> they are you know? so good. I they wait, are. I wait every year. It's like some people wait for the McRib. No, no, no. I wait no. for the, Mc, uh, the the Shamrock Shake. Oh. You remember Grimace's uncle, Patio Grimace, or whatever's his name? Oh, was? I do. Yeah. See, I am one of those guys that feels like the day that McDonald's Land left our popular culture was oh. the day something inside of us all died. I really See, do believe it. Way we don't have the Hamburglar anymore. I don't care if it makes kids obese. Give me back the Hamburglar and the Fry Guys, damn it. We describe this stuff to, 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 to Zoe, my daughter. She's 13. And she just thinks that we were stoned our whole childhood. And I'm like, no, honey, this was real. 
We had talking McNuggets, and then yes. we had talking raisins. Yes. Maple saxophones. Yes. The only way you could get me to eat something is if I saw it talking in a commercial previously. That's, right. <laughs> That's it. You know? I, I anyway, too far off of this on this tangent, <laughs> but if you ever have an opportunity to look up like the whole, whatever happened between McDonald's and Sid and, Sid and Marty Croft, who originally mm. came up with some of the McDonald's land characters oh. and like the lawsuits that <laughs> happened between these organizations wow. because they came up. Because if you look at it and you look at then HR oh, Puff and stuff, yeah. it's the same pretty much concept. And so Sid and Marty Croft came up with a lot of the ideas for the original McDonald's land characters and then tried to sue the pants off of McDonald's. <laughs> When they were like, no, 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 these are our characters. We love Captain Crook with our McFish, yeah, and this, our uh, McFish sandwich. Yeah, these are these are some of the little known ones, Mayor McCheese. But in any case, this is the last comic shop. We are not here to talk about Shamrock Shakes, and we're not here to talk about St. Patty's Day. We're here to talk about comics. And real quickly, as our first kind of salvo into comic books today, we are going to list our favorite comic book characters that either are green. Or have green in the title. And we're going to start off with Chad Smith. Chad, who is your favorite green comic book character? I'm going to go out of left field. I'm going to say the Phil Yurick Green Goblin. Wow! <laughs> the kid that got his own title for a little bit, and then they're like, ah, never mind. And then they forgot him about it for 30 years, and then Dan Slott brought him back, turned him into a bad guy, and he's dead now. <laughs> The Why do you like him so much? I, I won't I won't lie. I like when they brought him back as the Hobgoblin. He kind of had some menace to him. But, like, why oh, that yeah. Green Goblin instead of Corn Rose? Uh, you know what? Carrie Osborn had his arc, but then they screwed it up. And then Norman Osborn had his arc, and then they screwed it up. But Phil, they gave Phil his arc. They forgot about him. They're like, ah, oh, we'll throw you a bone. We'll bring him back. And like you said, the Hobgoblin part was still fun. And now he's dead. Is 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 he of relation to Ben Urich? Yes, he's his nephew. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This is all new to me. I thought there was like two Green Goblins. Oh. There's 20 of them. I didn't know. Exactly. That. It's a franchise. It's like McDonald's. <laughs> Any case. Exactly. Uh, J.A., what's your favorite comic book character that's either green or has green in the title? Uh, I'm going with uh, someone who is green. The Impossible Man. Very, very cool. I, I should have known as a Silver Surfer guy that you would go about that. Because I remember you talking nonstop about that issue where the Silver Surfer and Impossible Man square off is one of your favorites. He's great if you need uh, one issue of levity. You've just gone through the Infinity Gauntlet or you're about to go into some other big crossover event and you need a filler issue. It, it allows the writers to do in one issue what I think John Byrne did over eight issues of this She-Hulk run that we're about to look at today, okay. which is just uh, get your comedy chops on and, and be a bit uh, flagrant about it. That uh, Impossible Man makes his way into the MCU. Yeah, and I hope so, too. I, I hope they do him well with CGI, for sure. Uh, Mikey, as our guest, who is your favorite <clears throat> character that either is green or is green in the title? I'm, I'm realizing as as I'm listening to you guys that so many of my characters, my favorite characters are all green to begin with. So, like, there's there's Ambush Bug and Ragman and Swamp Thing. And I'm going to go with Green Arrow and specifically nice. Mike Grell's run of Green Arrow. 
uh, from like the Longbow Hunters, and then he did I think like eighty issues of a regular series. I just I just like that. It brought him down to a more ground level. He didn't really use trick arrows or anything. And what was interesting is that he aged in real time in the comic. So he every year he had a birthday and he got older and older and older, which doesn't usually happen. And actually that comes up in in She Hulk a little bit. But anyway, so yeah, we'll, we've talked about that before, Mikey and I. I came through the Longbow Hunters like 30, 40 yeah. years after it was published, and it it didn't do it for me. But I know uh, I didn't give the regular series a chance, so I'm sure. Yeah, that it's might fun, but it's more of a sort of cloak and daggery kind of book. There's some supervillains periodically, but it's a lot of like mobsters and Russian, you know, because it was 89, you know, whatever. So everything was Russian. But uh, yeah, it's good. I, I, I liked it. It wasn't the 80s Batman bad guys where they always were in gangs that had mohawks. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But that was okay. mine when I was in high school. That was my guy. So anyway. All right. Well, mine is going to be, of course, the Green Hornet. I'm one of the few folks out here. Well, Mikey likes the Green Hornet as well. In fact, yeah. we kind of had a little fight a little bit about who was going to bring up the Green Hornet. But if you've never had an opportunity, uh, even nowadays, uh, to read... Uh, the recent series, not so recent, but in the last 10 years, Dynamite's put out a couple good Green Hornet series. Uh, year One, which was done by Matt Wagner, uh, as well as then followed up by another run that was done by Mark Wade. Uh, both of those, uh, again, kind of encapsulate what the Green Hornet should be. They're both set in the 1930s. They really deal with a guy that's really trying to bring down crime by becoming the head of his own criminal organization, which I always thought was an interesting wrinkle. Like the guy that's like, yeah, I'm going to pretend I'm a criminal to take down other criminals. Is he really pretending? I don't know. That's the thing. Like walking that moral line and when does uh, pretending become reality uh, I always thought it was a really cool thing about the Green Hornet as opposed to uh, other superheroes that kind of have that same, you know, vigilante mentality, whether it's the Shadow or Batman or whatever. But I can highly recommend the Green Hornet, whether you're, again, the Dynamite stuff, or even go back and, and read the comic books from the Now series in the 90s. I was a huge fan of that, where they tried to make uh, the Green Hornet, like, multi-generational, and they tried to incorporate, you know, the Bruce Lee Cato and all that stuff. Great stuff out there, and you can find it in Buck Bins! You can find it in yeah. Buck bins super easy what's your favorite green hornet mask do you like the one with the hornet on it do you like the uh what's that called the domino i, I like the full one yeah i like the full mask the full face mask from like the 19 uh mm. the 1940s the enormous uh yellow hornet right on the front like i want people to see the green hornet from a mile away because they're like look at that guy with the mask He's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Any case, you know what also is the best? Last Comic Shop. We'll be right back with more of this program right after these messages. Again, it's going to be a review of another green character, the sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne. So stay tuned. Hey, everyone. Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. 
1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies, digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. All right, we are back with more of The Last Comic Shop here on our St. Patty's Day celebration. And of course, as always, we've got to do something green. So on today's program, we're going to do a book that my cousin J.A. recommended. It is covering a green character. It is covering the sensational She-Hulk. Not only just the sensational She-Hulk, but the first eight issues of the fantastic series that was written and drawn by John Byrne. And I think it was 1989. I believe this As of this recording, I have not yet completed my John Byrne Superman run, so I haven't started reading it yet. But this was right off of the heels from that? Somebody help me out. Yes, it it was. And he basically was at Marvel, and he did uh, X-Men, and he did Fantastic Four, right, Mikey? And then he left, he did uh, Superman, and then he came back. And I know he did some things like uh, he did Avengers West Coast when he came back. That's with the whole White Vision run and the Scarlet Bitch and all that kind of stuff that was going on there, bringing back Jim Hammond. He also created the Great Lakes Avengers during that time which is kind of tapping into that kind of funny aspect that kind of tongue-in-cheek humor that john byrne had uh what else did he do around that time mikey you're talking around that time. i know earlier he did the indiana jones comic which i thought was was pretty good in alpha flight he did alpha flight but that's like that's yeah, that three was that was earlier untold legends of batman i think he wrote some of starbrand starbrand was the new the new universe which is why there's that new universe joke in she hulk uh, he did. He was on Iron Man, except he did, wasn't drawing it at the time. That's when he brought in Armor Wars Two. He was working with John Romita Jr. and uh, kind of made the Mandarin his yeah. his big bad guy again. Brought back Fing Fang Foom. He was also doing Namor, where he made Namor, Namor that uh, environmentalist, I should say, uh, that environmentalist, and and did the first twenty five issues before he handed it off to Jay Lee. Uh, in yeah. terms what? of the... He was still writing, cause, but he turned him back into a hobo, like Fantastic Four days. <laughs> I do remember that. I remember hobo anymore. Oh, more. he did a OMAC miniseries that I remember that was black and white, which was weird for DC. Okay. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm, not, I'm really not crazy about John. I don't know. I know it's blasphemy and everything like that, but I never really got into him. Uh, but I've owned a few. Like, he did the Batman 3D book that they put out. It was like a 3D graphic novel. That was pretty fun. Well, in any case, uh, yeah. we're going to get the 10 cent synopsis because we, we went over who this was, of <laughs> course, uh, John Byrne. But, Mikey, can you fill us in on the 10 cent synopsis of the first eight issues? Again, available in trade. That's why we picked this up because you can get yeah. this in a trade, the first eight issues. But what happens in the first eight issues? Oh, uh, sensational She-Hulk. John Byrne gets She-Hulk in her underwear as many times as he can before he gets fired. No, that's not nice. um, No, no, no. Uh, no, it's actually a really fun book. Uh, She-Hulk realizes that she's a comic book character. And wacky hijinks ensue. That's really it. Like, it, it's... 
it's a fun little book. It really yeah. is. Well, I, I do know that uh, one of the big uh, things that he did, one of the focuses on this particular series, was to bring back a lot of obscure, almost D-list characters from the 70s and 80s. I don't know if he just sat down one day and decided, I'm just going to read Steve Gerber's Defenders just from beginning to end, because because you get the headsman. Since this is a podcast, you're not doing these characters justice without describing them. Uh, Ruby oh. Thursday, beautiful woman's body. Ruby red ball for a head. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 has a plasticized arm that can come out of it or can shoot darts. My theory is that it's Plastic Man. It's Plastic Man the whole time, but he's but it's it's an unofficial crossover. But right, how do you describe the gorilla guy with the gorilla, gorilla body and the human head? <laughs> and then and then there's a guy whose skeleton is too small for his body, which is really weird because his gimmick isn't a head. Everybody else's gimmick is a head. And then there's the psychic or the psychic yeah, Chan, guy who's Chan, Chan, Chandu, Chan, Chandu, Chandu, the Chandu. Who they're trying to find a body for because in the in the first issue or is, well it's whenever a they re- issues in. Yeah, where they reveal him, he's on some bizarre vulture tentacled kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and that, that is a follow-up again from that Defender series. I mean, oh. they, they they basically put him in that body after many fights with the Defenders because originally they tried to put his body into the original Nighthawk. And uh, that failed because the Defenders saved Nighthawk. That's again, I'm a huge fan of the Defenders. Like they're 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 my jam from from Bronze Age books. I love the Defenders, so I was really happy that they showed up. But you get them, you get the Mysterio in this series. Oh, one of my faves, and he brings back the Toad Men. The right. Toad Men from Incredible Hulk number two. So you guys know all of that. So I don't. I'm unfamiliar with a lot of that. Being being a DC boy, I'm unfamiliar with the sources of these things. Um, well, so spells it out for you in the issues. He's like, well, it's the second issue. We got well, the Toad Men. Well, it's yeah, fourth yeah, issue. There's going to be a doctor. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Dr. Bond. Speaking of which, another obscure character from a Steve Gerber book, Doctor Bong, shows up in one of the issues, and again. Made me smile from ear to ear. But I I don't want to talk about my initial thoughts. We're going to start with J.A. Scott because it was his pick for this week. He wanted to read Sensational She-Hulk. Why did you want to read this book, J.A.? It's your fault. (laughs) It's my fault. Yes, it's all my fault. Um, I'm a big John Byrne fan from his X-Men run. I had read the occasional She-Hulk story here and there back in the day. And so I wanted to revisit it and read them all in a set we did the first eight issues because this is in a trade i i yes. don't know if he got canned after issue eight i do yeah. know that was off the book and then he came back later on i don't know if that was right after issue eight right after santa claus <laughs> yeah. they wanted to do a mini series a she hulk mini series of some sort um and I, I can't remember who was on that but the editor bobby chase who is actually in a little cameo, I think, in the third issue? Is it the third issue? It's she's, one of them, yeah. Yeah, she's she's in a little window thing. Where, like, they do this really cool time cut anyway. But there was conflict between she and John Byrne. Because John, John I mean, John Byrne's, he's one of those creators that's prolific and famous and an enormous jerk. Uh, <laughs> You know, so so his ego clashed with editorial, who probably had ego, egos involved there. And so really the debate wasn't even about this particular She-Hulk book. It was about another one. And uh, he felt that he was being rewritten by editorial, which is probably true. And she ended up getting fired. And he was off the book until issue 31 when she left. So he came back. And, and I haven't read anything past there, but I am I am curious. This got me 
like because as I said, I wasn't really much of a burn fan, but I enjoyed this. I, I actually found myself enjoying. I enjoyed the art, and usually my deal with John Byrne is that I John Byrne draws four faces. He draws a fat guy and a skinny guy, a fat girl and a skinny girl. They're all the same faces with different hair. And it's always bugged me ever since I was a kid. I was like, that's the same fate. Like, you know, there's a, a shadowy bad guy sitting in a car at, at one point in Shield, And it's just his Lex Luthor from, from Man of Steel. But I, I, I never got into him. He's notoriously cantankerous online. I'm I'm sure it's died down since. But man, I, I actually was reading this book and, and, and really digging it. Like, I really... I like it. Well, as somebody yeah. that likes John Byrne's art, uh, J.A., and has been a big fan, yeah, like, does he have four faces, or are you going to stand up for your boy? I, no, I can see there is, especially with the guys, they tend to run very similarly. They all sort of look, uh, the men, especially the heroic men, have the chiseled jaws. You change out their hair color, and it could be Clark Kent. I get that. I think mm-hmm. it works in She-Hulk because the main uh, character is taller than everybody else in green. So you always know who you're looking at uh, a bit on that one. I would say um, a lot of the books and series that we look at on this show tends to be like one sort of contained story arc over 12 issues, over eight issues. This was a throwback to the way, you know, comics were done in the eighties and the nineties where you have like the first three issues have kind of like a story arc, but then issues four and five are just standalone one issue stories issues. Uh, six and seven is another contained self-contained two issue story arc. And then the last issue, as we said, the one that got him canned or on a different book was Santa Claus, maybe a bridge too far. That being <laughs> so I enjoyed kind of going back to my roots in in comic books and being able to read a one-issue self-contained story done really well. I thought some of them worked better than others. I really didn't like the Dr. Bong issue. I thought that was where the stick stick went almost too far. The fourth plane went too far. I thought where it worked was when she was making sly references to John Byrne or to editorial or to editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. I thought that set the standard for what they ended up doing with uh, Deadpool later on uh, to some degree, where they're breaking the fourth plane and talking to the viewer and knowing that they're in the medium while they're also telling the story in the medium. And I figured that this is the comic book that you can only do if you have a lot of cachet in the industry and history already. If you are not John Byrne, this comic doesn't get done. Okay. And my final thought is what I loved about it is if you look at it as a time capsule in its time and place, everything else coming out at this time was really gritty. 1989, 1990s, gritty, Punisher, daredevil all these gritty comic books that were dark and you know x-men was going through all this stuff and this is just light and fun and frivolous and and has all these inside jokes that are written for by the artist and by the writer for the industry so i figured this is something that just like you said bringing all these old characters back it's like hey why not i've got carte blanche i can do what i want i'm gonna have fun with these 40s these 50s these 70s era characters have all these inside jokes about comic books as a medium because this is meant to be a fun book. It's not meant to be so dark and serious. 
Well, I, I just got to jump in before I'm going to kick it over to Chad by saying you're completely wrong about issue four with Dr. Bong. <laughs> completely wrong. The best line in the entire eight issues comes from that book where she they basically say to She-Hulk in no uncertain terms, you will be 31 as long as you are in comics. That kind of metafictional humor hits me right here. It hits me right here. I am a fan of the Marx Brothers. I am a fan of the fourth wall. I am fan of knowing that you are a part of, of the inside joke. And that, that statement about how somebody desperately wants to get back into comic books so they will no longer age like Captain America or Namor was the best. Chad, what are your thoughts on this? There's a line, and I, I have to keep reminding myself that this book is a product of its time because there are some times where the metafictional stuff works and there are some times where it's just kind of cringy and eye rolling and it's like, oh, okay, I get it, burn. A lot of times I don't give it as much credence just because in my mind, it's all Bugs Bunny. I mean, this is Bugs Bunny, only it's a big green Bugs Bunny lawyer. Deadpool is Bugs Bunny with guns and knives. Like, they're all just Bugs Bunny when they're breaking the fourth wall and doing that stuff. But I did love the fact that, you know, like Jay said, this guy can do what he wants, and what he wants is space truckers. So he's bringing that back. And uh, I loved him dipping into the 40s and the Golden Age heroes, and, like, that was really cool. What was her name? Golden Goddess? Blonde, Blonde Phantom? Something. Phantom. There you go. Yeah. She, she was a real Golden Age character, actually. She came out in all select comics number 11 in 1946, oh. which was... During the timely times, yeah, I, I thought maybe so they made her up for the book. They were real characters too. That US one, that was the US <laughs> one book, which was a a, a, a Tycho RC uh, crossover thing or whatever they call it, license thing. Anyways, Chad, what I wanted to say was again, I feel like at times in this series there were things that happened that would be later repeated in series that you and I really enjoyed. Like, I'm not saying this is on the same lines as a next wave. Next wave! Oh, oh my God, I was going to mention that. But at the same so time, I feel like this particular series and, and next wave are, are, are kindred spirits in some way, in, 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 in terms of poking fun at particular comic book rules what do you think about that yeah no, i can i can see where you're coming from honestly and this is uh, this is gonna sound real bad i just think this is the height of excess this is john Byrne, post x-men post superman he's done everything the industry has wanted him to do and now he's like you know what i want to draw fashion stuff i want to draw you know stuff that would appear in an architecture magazine you know, he's just doing whatever he wants to do because he can. And, like, on the art side of things, I, I like John Burns art. I don't care how many faces he has. I love the issue with Spider-Man, and you could see where he's kind of torn between, like, he did tons of work on Spider-Man and the Marvel team-up days, and, like, he's torn between that and the new McFarlane, like, super popular, big-eyed Spider-Man, and mm. he kind of goes back and forth a little bit. I thought that was fun, and when the comedy stuff worked, I enjoyed it. When it didn't work, like I said, I rolled my eyes. I'm like, all right, all right, 80s book. I, I don't know. I, I fall somewhere in between on this one, where there are parts of it, like I said, that were really good, and then parts of it that, yeah, I could have done without. It's weird, because I'm, I'm sort of, like, I, I liked a lot of the meta stuff. Crossing through the panels, the joking about transitions. There's one joke where 
they go to show a tag on on her on her underwear because again she's in the underwear and it's the it's the uh, the, the comics. comics code authority the comics logo code, thing. Yeah. That That's why I can't be ripped. Me, yeah, yeah, right. And then and then in that same issue where they're kind of running through the comic pages, they cross over one of those. Uh, I think it was like a mile high comics ad that they used to have in all the books oh, back yeah. then. If you stop and read that, there's little jokes in there. There's little jokes written in there. Uh, underneath the nom, there's a little thing, a description where they talk about scoring some weed and things like that. Like, there's little jokes in there, yeah. And and that stuff was hilarious. But And I can't believe me, of all people, is saying this, but I think his character's talk too much. Mm. Like, I love dense comics, and I talk too much. But there are times where I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, my God. They just keep talking and talking and talking <laughs> And, t- and the joke was funny two dialogue bubbles ago. But my f- I think my favorite is like the um, close-ups of She-Hulk's face with these little reactions. Yes. And then, um, and then yes. they do the whole head issue where they remove her head, which the Shadow Book from DC did a y- in December of 88 and January of 89. The last issue of that Shadow Book was his head being put onto a robot body. Um, and they never went anywhere with it because the book was canceled after that. <laughs> so I, I wonder at the end of that episode where they see a tiny little head inside the robot She-Hulk body, if that's supposed to be someone, like an in-joke that nobody knows but him. Because there's a lot of that in there. I was, I I was hoping that you'd bring up the, the face panel because another one I, I enjoyed was, uh, again, I liked it any time that, that uh, She-Hulk was either talking to Burn. Uh, or saying like, what what gives burn? I thought this was like supposed to be the Creo to Skrulls, yeah. and you give me Toad Men, uh, or or the fact that there's one issue where it's just basically her face, and she's like hanging upside down or whatever, and she gets pied in the face <laughs> because she's telling yeah. really bad dad jokes, like the jokes that yeah. I would tell, and uh, so and those kind of moments just kind of made this series for me. Not, to, I'm not going to go on record saying this is the best thing since sliced yeah. bread because I'm not. As we'll get to our grades later on. There were some things that I disliked, but one thing that I wanted to ask everybody, and I'll start with J.A. on this particular thing is, do you think that John Byrne works better when he gets to split the writing slash art duties? Well, I I mean, it's it's a hard question because you can't really compare this to like the X-Men stuff, right? Uh, The stuff he did with Chris Claremont that's much more serious if you will it's got a longer play involved but without that he can't do this so if he hadn't done the x-men if he hadn't done all that stuff in dc he wouldn't have been able to do this she-hulk book i think the writing is stronger in the x-men you know it's apples and oranges you're comparing sort of almost two different genres so yeah i don't think you can say well one is better than the other because they're they're different things all right chad so, okay, I'm going to go back to when I talked about this as an exercise and in indulgence. Like, there are parts of this that are really awesome, and it's cool to see John Byrne explore those things. And then there are other times that because he's the guy writing and drawing, he can take shortcuts just because he wants to. Like, some of his transitions and his shortcuts, he cuts out the most interesting parts. Like, when she attacks Stiltman and just grabs his legs and splits them. I want to see that panel with this, the, the Stiltman coming apart. But, you know, he makes that choice. But I think, you know, if he were the artist instead of just the writer artist, you know, I think he might have had to commit that panel to the page. And I'm thinking of how to put this. Like, a guy like Frank Miller, 
he's a guy that has a singular artistic vision that appeals across a, a wide swath, and you know he does what he does really well. I don't think John Byrne has that. I think he has glimmers where it comes through and it's like, wow, that's really good. But I think he's somebody that's best paired with someone who's going to tamp down some of his instincts and keep him more focused on what's what. Okay. Mikey? Most of the stuff that I've read of his work is stuff that he wrote. Like, And, and I think I'm one of a handful of people that I, I don't like Man of Steel. Um, I really like his designs for kryptonian clothing though in man of steel i thought that was i think they're phenomenal no i really do i think it's super cool looking but that's i mean that's just me i like my superman you know in the 1930s throwing people out windows and stuff like that uh but like it sort of probably depends on the writer you know because if you've read a script by someone like alan moore where he describes every single detail of of, of the panel in utter detail and it doesn't leave the artist with much room to move that's one thing but if the script is like you know the marvel style where it's like captain america and namor fight each other for a couple of pages you know that then that you know I, i'm not really sure it, he may he may be a little more constrained if it's his own writing he may skip things that other writers would focus on like the Stiltman thing was interesting because i read that and i was like what the hell just happened there like she says make a wish and then she moves her arms, and then I was like, okay, I get it, you know, because then he falls into her arms from out of the suit, and that was funny. It's weird, because uh, I wish I had a better answer for that than I'm not sure, but I'm well, not sure. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's okay. I, I mean, my, my simple answer is, I don't know, I, I like when they're split up. You know, the first person I think of that's a writer-artist sometimes is uh, Jack Kirby. Like, I go back to Kirby stuff, and I'm still like, I like Kirby when he's paired up with other people. Sometimes Kirby, uh, he's not really the best, you know, writer when it comes to his stuff. I've read New Gods. Just he's a crazy person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the ideas are great, but without that other collaborator. Yeah, you need nuts. that bombast of Stan Lee just giving, filling in that. Uh, that are, so I think, honestly, the only time it ever worked for Byrne was on his Fantastic Four run. That's the one time I can say yes. And I think, honestly, it's because it came on the heels of his X-Men run. So he was kind of like, yeah, I just picked up all these tricks from from Chris Claremont, and they're fresh in my brain. So I'm just going to use them here on my Fantastic Four run, and, and that's why it works. But I will say this. The one thing I really do love about John Byrne's writing is, I believe it or not, despite him putting... She-Hulk in his under her underwear all the time. <laughs> At least for the 1980s, John Byrne tried to make his female characters somewhat empowered. Whether it was with She-Hulk in this and how strong she is, how confident she is, how she can take care of business, or whether it was with uh, you know, Jean Grey or Kitty Pride, or most importantly, Invisible Woman. Because keep in mind, she was the Invisible Girl before John Byrne got her his hands on her. I mean, these were characters that weren't given a lot of street cred and really power before John Byrne got his mitts on him, and and ultimately at the end of the day, not only made them pretty to look at but made them a force to be reckoned with. And so kudos for him for at least moving the needle a little bit towards what we would see from these characters nowadays. I'm just saying that. I want to argue this point, and I'm going to sound like a huge jerk, but empowering She-Hulk, that's great. But the problem is when you're drawing a funny book, you don't want someone that's that beautiful and that competent 
it's harder to get the humor in those situations. You want, like, I go back to Gifford and Dematias and the JLI. Like, they were hilarious because they had no idea what they were doing. They were schlubs. That's what made them great. And Jennifer Walters, she's too competent. She's too beautiful. You know, she has too much going for her. So that's, I think, you know, while he's trying to empower this character and, you know, empowering females, you know, go for it. That's awesome. But at the same time, for a comedy book, like, uh, it's not working as well as it could be. Yeah, this is this is definitely post uh, her being in that Fantastic Four run where he kind of had an opportunity to kind of, I don't know, humanize her and kind of beautify her and kind of give, give us kind of like that Greek goddess-esque uh, She-Hulk that we know. J.A.? She was a lawyer before she became She-Hulk, and then she's a lawyer after she becomes She-Hulk. But one thing I noticed, you know, it was never done for like, oh, she's a lawyer. She's super, super smart. So it was always a lawyer and sort of good at, at the law, but never never written as being very super intellectual. Not dumb by any means, but kind of sometimes missing the obvious. I remember an issue where I think it happened in Silver Surfer or right during the Infinity Gauntlet crossover where he comes to Earth. And he's walking around Avengers headquarters and she like stops him and says, what are you doing here? And goes to punch him and, you know, hits him and it doesn't affect him. And he's like, um, I'm the Silver Surfer. I came to meet. And Captain America's like, stand down, Avenger. Don't you know that's one of our friends? She goes, geez, it was an honest mistake. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just Marvel dialogue in general. I don't She-Hulk and Spider-Man. You could replace them in each other's panels and the dialogue would work for either of them because they, they sound the exact same. He uses the same speech pattern for, you know, and I, and I think it's a Marvel, a Marvel thing like the Shulky and they have all these nicknames and he says blast, blast. I have nobody talks like that. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody says blast. No, but I know comics code and all that stuff. Yeah, one, anyways, one way that we always say blast is by going to a commercial break. That's what we do here on the show. We say blast, blast. and then there's a commercial break that comes right after it, <laughs> or at least on this program. And we've got more of the last comic shop coming up right after these messages. We're going to be coming back with our ratings for the sensational She-Hulk, the first eight issues. So stay tuned for that. Blast. <laughs> hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoDuroParlayHour.com where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607 podcast info, and parlay points, our companion block section of the show. Thanks for listening to the ODPH. Now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, we are back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we assign work in this final evaluation of the sensational She-Hulk. And we didn't give credit to the other folks. We didn't give credit to Bob Wyacek, who did the inks for every issue except for six, which was Al Golden. Glynis Oliver and John Workman on letters! John John Workman letters. They're they're a mile high if they're a, a centimeter. Those John Workman letters, they're the best. The letters are very Workman-like. 
Well, I will say this, that the one guy that I always love John Byrne working with is always Terry Austin. Anytime you get Terry Austin inks on John Byrne stuff, that's what makes it. But anyways, you know, Andy, before you go, the Rob Liefeld podcast. I know Mikey Wood's a huge Rob Liefeld fan. The Rob (laughs) Liefeld podcast talks about how he loved all these guys at Terry Austin inks. And then one day somebody said to him, you think maybe you just might be a Terry Austin fan? <laughs> and we're I'm not get- a Rob Liefeld fan. And in fact, you could look up a letter of mine that I wrote in X-Force number 12 that says just that. Oh, wow! <laughs> you wrote, you guys published? Holy sh... We're going to... Now all our fans are going to be finding this X-Force number 12 just so they can read the, the letter from Mike Wood. What did you talk about in the letter? It was a flashback issue that showed Cable's time with uh, Grizzly and all those people. You know what I mean? The and, Wild Pack. The Wild Pack. Thank you. And and that issue was drawn primarily by Mike Mignola. And I wrote in the letter, it was like, don't get me wrong. I like Rob just fine. But after a while, it gets to be like mom's meatloaf. So I and, and, and the reply was like, Rob forgives you for the mom's meatloaf response. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. Lay in the smack. Yeah. Down. I had yeah. a subscription. You know what? I was one of those guys who saw him show his crotch on a Levi's commercial. And I thought, you know what? I want to buy this guy's comic. And I got a <laughs> subscription. So number 12 was the last of my subscription. And it had my letter printed in. And I thought, you know what? This is as good a place as any to go because this book is garbage. <laughs> and, um, so <laughs> I never bought another heart, issue. Of- You're breaking my heart. <laughs> I never bought another issue of X Force because I thought, you know what? This is as close as I will ever be to having my name in an X book. But uh, and I sold those back when Deadpool hit, and I got a lot of money for the Deadpool first issue. Um, there you go. And that was nice of him. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, well, good story about that. this letter. We're going to get back to our rating. And, uh, of course, You're J.A., as always, we do it on a one of four scale. But J.A. always likes to mix it up every week. What are we going to be rating our one to four scale out of this week, J.A.? All right. Well, this comic book is all about breaking the fourth wall. So we're going to rate this book on number of walls broken. One oh, nice. Good. I like it. Because I had a sound effect for that. You just heard it. I have a sound effect for wall breaking. I'm loving this. Unlike these other weeks where you leave me out hanging to dry to find something great on the internet. I had one already. So we're going to start off with, of course, J.A. Scott. This was his book. He gets first dibs saying, what is he going to rate this? So I rate this three broken walls. It was fun. It was, I liked the in jokes. I didn't mind the fourth wall breaking so much. I felt that some of the stories were stronger than others. My favorite two issues were the space trucker issues. Uh, you had a nice little cameo appearance by the Guardians of the Galaxy. She-Hulk gets mistaken for a scroll, and they don't, we ain't got no place for laser-licking scrolls here. <laughs> so I love those little bits. Solid three broken walls. Okay. Chad, your rating? Ah, uh, geez, Louise, I guess I'm going to go two and a half broken walls. I mean, there are parts that I really enjoyed. I really liked the John Bernard. There were gags that were good, and there were gags that were not. And But She-Hulk was always, you know, wonderful to look at. And I, I like some of the side characters. 
But uh, two and a half. I think this is a pretty solid uh, example of what comics were like in 1989, <laughs> which was a lot of two and a half star comics. Oh, Mikey, uh, what's your rating? Um, oh, I forgot you mentioned sound effects. Uh, I like that they use the sound effect. Bla- is it Blair or Blar? They use it a <laughs> yes. lot. They they use it a lot. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm go- I'm with Chad on this one. Like, I, I'm gonna say two and a half. Like, it's it's like perfectly perfectly fine book. It's it, it is funny in a lot of places. And if you're more into or more knowledgeable of kind of the Marvel stuff, you may get more mileage out of it than I did. I knew US one like the space truckers. I knew US one from how just utterly bizarre that comic if you've ever read us1 comics i've read a few of them um it's so bizarre it's about truckers it was a toy it was based off of a toy line you know it's certainly worth reading like it's certainly worth reading a lot of people love it john byrne draws really cute feet on ladies um so yeah and that and that's that's me saying a lot for because i think you guys might have actually forced me to turn a corner on john byrne and i may have to do a little more research on it okay and 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 read the ff run and things like that well see that's what we do on the last comic shop we expand people's minds this was a therapy session for me yes you've got me yes we turned you around i'm going to say this is a, a a good solid three walls broken for me i would have given this easily a four uh, if it hadn't been, believe it or not, for these issues that everybody seems to be loving, which were the trucker issues. I was not a huge fan of the trucker issues, nor was I a fan of the issue with Santa Claus. Like at that point, I felt like things started to kind of peter out in terms of the gas. His plaid made me angry. They kept drawing it as straight up and down lines. That's on how plaid works. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what does work, though, is those first couple issues. I was a huge, huge fan. Of per- I think the first four or five issues of this run, it reminded me so much of why I love comic books. I love the fact that you could do a comic book like this in the 1980s, when, again, to everybody's point on this show, it, people were just interested in the body count of the Punisher was, or how many people Wolverine could kill, or how gritty and dark Spider-Man was was i mean but you had this fun tongue-in-cheek book uh that brought back a lot of just again d-list characters that nobody cared about but that was part of the joke nobody cares about the headsmen that's part of why you put them in a comic book like that was the one thing that i i always say like it's one thing when you pick up comic books and they're making fun of the characters it's also another like when you're when you're laughing along with the characters when you're like part of the joke you're not just making fun of it just to make fun of it you're just like no this is this is part of the gag and we're all in on it and the fact that she hulk is talking to john byrne and the fact that she's wearing a comics code tag on on the inside of her jumpsuit so she can't get her clothes ripped by the fact that she can't age beyond 31 because she's in a freaking comic book I love these things. I love Dr. Bong. I love freaking Dr. Bong. He's from Howard the freaking Duck. If you haven't read Steve Gerber's Howard the Duck series, you, sir or madam, are missing 
out. Wow. Pick that up today. That should be my recommendation, but it's not wow. going to be because I got a better one. And that's what we're going to next. Recommendations. As we always uh. on this program, we give you other comic books that you should pick up at your local comic book shop in addition to the trade that you can pick up with the first eight issues of Sensational She-Hulk. And of always on this program, we're going to do a similar book, a current book, and one out of left field. Although I don't even know if we're going to be doing those rules on this show because we can't up with these books and just said ah whatever well we got the cherry on the top <laughs> and that is from mikey wood so uh on today's program i'm gonna give what's called the current book and this isn't really exactly current because it's a couple years back but it's as current as we're gonna get on this freaking podcast and that current book uh is a fantastic one starring another she-hulk that doesn't happen to be green but happens to be red. If you've never checked out the Red She-Hulk book that was written by Jeff Parker with art by Carlo Paguayan, <clears throat> and uh, not only does it star Red She-Hulk, which is always an interesting character, for those folks that don't know who Red She-Hulk is, that's Betty Ross. That is the long-suffering partner of Bruce Banner who basically got red She-Hulk powers at the same time as her dad did, uh, Thunderbolt Ross, and basically became red She-Hulk, empowered for the first time, kind of feeling her oats, out there trying to make her way as a superhero. But that's not really the reason that you read this series. I will be very honest with this. As folks that know me, the reason you read this series is because it's got Machine Man in it. And if anybody can write Machine Man... Boy, it is Jeff Parker. Jeff Parker manages to write a fantastic series where he gets to be the ego to Red She-Hulk's id. And the result is like an impulsive yet deliberate, clever yet soulful, just right mix of chaos and mechanical order. And by the end of this book in this series, both characters genuinely like each other. And although X-51, a.k.a. Machine Man, starts playing psychologist to the lost and damaged Betsy Ross, who, again, has just had a really terrible time over her years as a character, uh, by the end, uh, She-Hulk really takes uh, kind of the responsibility of protecting him and, and really stepping up to the plate as a superhero. Plus, they have a road trip, and they go and meet Mole Man, and they have dinner with Mole Man. How great is that? So, yes, if you have an opportunity to pick up, up it's in two trades. The first trade is called Hell Hath No Fury. The second trade is called Madlands. But Red She-Hulk, written by Jeff Parker, uh, I can't recommend that enough. Uh, J.A. is going to hit us up with his out-of-left-field pick. What is that for this week? Yeah, so this kind of uh, wraps into both my favorite green character, as well as She-Hulk. I mentioned that uh, She-Hulk meets up with the Silver Surfer and doesn't recognize him. But in that exact same issue, the Silver Surfer meets up with Impossible Man. And this takes place in Silver Surfer number 36, which comes two issues after the return of Thanos. This you can find in multiple trades, you know, the run-up to Infinity Gauntlet. It's just been published in my favorite format, the Infinity Gauntlet Omnibus, which gives you Silver Surfers 34 through 38, 40, 44 through 60, Thanos Quest 1 and 2, all of Infinity Gauntlet, 
Cloak and Dagger, Spider-Man, Incredible Hulk. Uh, it's just a great issue. There's two of them, actually. The the previous one, he also appeared in Silver Surfer 33, which is not, unfortunately, in any of these omnibuses. But I'm sure you can find that for pretty cheap in dollar bins somewhere out there. Just great early 90s Silver Surfer stuff. Absolutely. And if you don't have a lot of that cabbage to throw around on those omnibuses like my cousin seems to have, again, you can pick this up in Silver Surfer Rebirth of Thanos. It's a trade paperback. And again, it's got those same issues, except not all the stuff with Infinity Gauntlet. It just has those Silver Surfer issues. And what I consider a much better story than Infinity Gauntlet, which is Thanos's quest. If you've never had an opportunity to read Thanos quest number one and two, that is a much better story than Infinity Gauntlet. And some people might fight me on that. But the wrong chad what is our i guess similar pick on this yes i'm gonna go similar time period uh i'm coming right out of the john byrne era when he was in charge of, or when he was at dc doing superman and they gave the reins of the justice league to keith giffen jm de matias and kevin mcguire for the uh what eventually became known as the justice league international but they let him have batman and nobody else no Superman. John Byrne was doing all the Superman. No Wonder Woman. George Price was doing all the Wonder Woman. So you got Batman, and that's it, and a bunch of jobbers. And it was wonderful. And I recommend the whole thing. Uh, it ran for like 55 issues or so until they, they kind of dropped the, the humor gimmick. But uh, if I had to narrow it down, there were so many, so many great moments. Uh, later on, when Fire and Ice joined the team, and there's uh, uh, Guy Gardner's, their, their rough and tumble character who, you know, Thinks he's tougher than he is when he goes on his date with ice, and it's the date with density. Drawn by our pal Russ Braun. There you uh, go. But uh, most people know Justice League. They'll know it for, in the very first uh, trade paperback, issue five, for the punch. Yes. Where I talk about Guy Gardner, who's this abrasive character. He's like Wolverine without the charm. He's just so obnoxious that he's running off of the mouth, and Batman drops him with one punch. And that by itself would be awesome. But what's even better is Demetrius and Giffen and McGuire, they spend the rest of the page just with the reaction shots of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold laughing in the background and making fun of him. And just all those character moments that shine through in this book that repeatedly, like throughout the run, they would lose access to characters. They start off with Captain Marvel, and they're like, you know what, we want to put him in a real book. We're taking him away. They're like, ah, it doesn't matter, we'll put somebody else in. They start out with Black Canary, she only lasts six or seven issues, ah, we'll throw somebody else in. But they were able to make chicken soup out of chicken scratch, and the whole JLI run, I think, is awesome. But the first trade in particular, it's a highlight. Giffen, Demetrius, Kevin McGuire, JLI, check it out. All right. Mikey Wood, what yeah. is our cherry on the top for this week? Well, first, I, I, I'm sorry, Bray, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this to people. Issue 9, the next issue after John Byrne's run on, on She-Hulk, the title of the story is Burnout, and there's actually a, an arrow on the fir first page pointing to the title, and it says, get it, with a question mark, Burnout, and it's drawn by Brian Hitch. Wow! Back then, in 1989, 1990. So that might be his first work. Anyway, my recommendation has nothing to do with any of that. Um, <laughs> about maybe a month ago or so, you guys did a really good ep uh, episode on Road to Perdition. And since it was not live, I couldn't call in to lambast you or to mention not sequels so much as, as 
in between quills because you know the road road to perdition the original book is very much just the uh the vendetta that he has against the the roonies or the loonies in the case of the the book there are graphic novels that came out afterwards and actually three prose novels that came out afterwards that take place in between the events of the of the original graphic novel and they're all from paradox press Uh, there's uh oasis sanctuary and detour they're about 100 pages each, but they collected them all into one edition. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez draws them, and he's magnificent. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's, different. Different. it's different. Garcia Lopez is amazing, but the but but the prior was a completely different vibe altogether. So, But anyway, they're very good. They expand the story and the Irish mob element with St. Paddy's Day and everything is why I chose those. Very cool. So there you go. All right, well, that's all the time we had for the last comic shop this week. Uh, Mikey Wood, real quickly, do you want to tell everybody where you can find, they can find your fantastic comic book work? Uh, um, Yeah, you know what? My two graphic novels are still available on Amazon. One is called Hate Your Friends, and one is uh, called uh, Pack of Lies. If you go on there and say, Hate Your Friends, Mikey Wood, or Pack of Lies, Mike, they should come up. And they're print to order, so you could order them, and and uh, and I thank you for that. Um, the first part of El Phantasma is available on graphiccomics.com, um, and actually, so is so is um, Hate Your Friends. So if you don't want to spring to buy the actual print version, you could read it online for free because I, I'm nice like that. But other, yeah, other than that, I work from home. I'm in my apartment every day. So if you guys ever want to find me. <laughs> There I am. All right. Well, you know where you can find us every week is at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It is our fantastic little website that we have where you can rate, review, and subscribe to any of the fantastic places where you can find our podcast every single week, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube or uh, Amazon Podcasts or, I don't know, your grandma's house. I mean, we do that, too. In any case, you can also follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Last Comic Shop. But, J.A., what can they find every single day at LastComicShopPodcast.com? They can find merch and lots of it. T-shirts, hoodies, cozies, masks. You name it, we've got it. And there you go. And while we may be the last comic shop, we're probably not actually the last comic shop near you. You can go to comicshoplocator.com to find uh, a comic shop near you. Or if you're like Mikey, who spends a lot of time at home, staying safe, (laughs) staying out of trouble, you can always go online and find some wonderful businesses to order mail, order comics through. But we love the folks supporting this industry and keeping the comics Mm -hmm. that we love coming out on a regular basis. I'm going for that whole, I'm going for the whole um, uh, Howard Hughes thing. Like, I want the neighborhood kids to, to, to make an urban legend about me. Like, they're like, I saw him bring his garbage out last night. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. As long no, as you're but- not keeping uh, mason jars full of your own toenail clippings, I think we're just fine with that. Uh, any case, that's all the time we had for this week. The Last Comic Shop. I am the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, Jay Scott, and, of course, Mikey Wood for this week. And until next week, folks, stay safe. Stay sheltered. And if you can, break as many fourth walls as humanly possible. They're out there. And structurally, you only need three. 
Honestly. <laughs> Structurally, your home will stay up with three. Exactly! We're past tents right now. We're living in teepees or bungalows. We just That's right. we need three walls. That's fine. Blair! Scream! <laughs> was a 2021 Black Angus production.